And amen to that, right? The king of love, my shepherd is. Amen to that. I want to share with you a chapter and a verse that when I begin to read it on this Good Shepherd Sunday, you in your homes or wherever you're listening to this, you will begin to recite it with me. I know you will. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. And then the very next verse, do you know it? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, so rather that the world might be saved through him. When I was a boy, I always thought of God as a frowning ruler of the universe, sitting up there in heaven, forever despondent, forever depressed, and forever, forever angry with his people on account of their sins. Forever angry with his people because here's the path he wants us to walk. And we're always saying, God, I'm going to walk this path. And God is saying, no, I want you to walk this path. Not just for my sake, but for yours, so that you can have a peaceful and abundant life on this earth. And we don't do it. As Luther said, we daily sin much. My concept of God as a young boy, forever angry up there in heaven, just waiting for me or someone else to do something wrong, and then he could come against us. God's wrath, so I thought, was so severe it could only be satisfied with the shedding of blood. It says as much in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And the blood that would be shed because God was so angry, the blood that would be shed would be the blood of His own Son, Jesus. I probably didn't hear the minister correctly, or maybe I was reading my Bible wrong. At any rate, I love Jesus. In my young days, I thought Jesus saved me from the wrath of God, that he was my older brother who took the beating for me. I thought that Jesus was good and that God was bad. It took me many, many years to appreciate how truly and how certainly that phrase, God is love, how true that comment is. Even in his justice, his love comes shining forth. Notice what the Bible says in John 3.16. It doesn't say God was so angry at the world that he gave his one and only son. It says God so loved the world. I mentioned to you before the Bible talks about God's power is readily seen, but John 3.16 does not say, for God is so powerful that he gave his one and only Son. We know about the wisdom of God. I've talked about it before. He keeps everything running by his divine order and guidance. But it does not say in John 3.16, for God's wisdom gave his one and only Son. It says in John 3.16, God so loved the world. God is love. He is not anger. He is not depression. He is not moodiness. 
God is love. Psalm 23, one of our favorite psalms, right? If I ask you who Psalm 23 is talking about, you would say, well, it's talking about Jesus. And you're wrong. Sorry to say that to you on a Sunday morning during a worship service, but you're wrong. Psalm 23 is not about Jesus. It's about God. Jesus won't be born for another 900 years. When Jesus comes towards the end of his ministry, John chapter 10, he literally says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them everlasting life and no one shall pluck them out of my hand. And then he says, my father, who is greater than all, has given me these sheep and no one shall pluck them out of my father's hand. And then he says, I and the Father are one. 23rd Psalm, you think is about Jesus, it's about God. And if you have a concept that God is an angry individual, if you have a concept that God is punishing when something goes awry in your life, Psalm 23, God is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. God makes me lie down in green pastures. God leads me beside still waters. God restores peace to my soul. Guides me in paths of righteousness that his name might be glorified. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because God is with me. And how does David end that psalm? God prepares a table before me in the presence of whatever enemies I might have at any time in my life. God anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely God's goodness and love have followed me all the days of my life. Does that sound like an angry God? Surely God's goodness and love has followed me all the days of my life. He anoints my head with oil. My cup of blessing overflows. God is love. And one of the most marvelous moments in my life was when I came to realize that not only is Jesus good, but God himself is good. Perhaps even better, because it was God's love that sent his son to die on that cross for us. First John 4.10 describes it. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for every person's sin. God is love. It's right there on the surface. You don't need a microscope to find it. You know, don't need to go to a concordance to see if there is any bit of love in John 3.16. You do not have to ask a theologian or a seminary professor, can you point out to me God's love in John 3.16? It is right there on the surface. You cannot miss it. John 3.16, God so loved the world. It wasn't just his plan for the atonement. It was his proxy. 
in His plan for the atonement that showed forth His love. What I'm talking about, Revelation 13.8, from the beginning of time, God had this plan for our redemption all put together. From the beginning of time, He already had appointed Jesus to die on the cross. We're talking before Adam and Eve even existed. We're talking before the serpent came and they ate of that fruit of the tree. God in His love said, this is what we're going to do. On the day that you eat of that fruit, you'll certainly die. But His love is so intense, and His justice is so wisely put together in the realm of His love, that He says, man shall die for his sin, but my son shall pay the price. It was God's own heart that burned for man and caused him to come to earth himself in human form to redeem the lost. Romans 5, 8. God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself because he loved the people in this world so much. Come Christmas... This birth of the babe of Bethlehem wrapped in swaddling clothes. It is the manifestation of the love nature of God for this world. I'll tell you something. If we could get the world to believe in the great truth of God's love for fallen man, then our need for witnessing would be greatly alleviated If we could get this world to understand how deeply God loves us, then the hardest heart would be softened. And the most cynical of natures, if God existed, all of this suffering wouldn't be taking place. The most cynical of natures would be changed if they understood how deeply God loved There'd be a new attitude in every heart. There'd be a new song on everyone's lips. And we would, Isaiah, we would be soaring like eagles. We'd run and not grow weary. We'd walk and not grow faint if we understood how deeply God loves us. It's man's sinful nature that keeps us from appropriating that truth. It is our reaction to people who sin against us. We're filled with anger and hatred and vengeance, and I'm going to get even with them. And we assume God is the same way. He's not. (laughs) He's not. Different as day is from night, He's not. And if you come to understand how deeply He loves, then no matter what is going on in your life, in the realm of health or finances or relationships, you are so certain of His love that you're not hungry because He knows you love you. You're not thirsty because you know He loves you. You're not naked because you still have Him. You know how much He loves you. And you're not sick and you're not in prison because you have this one truth that nothing and nobody can take from you this one truth, God loves me. 
Romans 8, neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth shall ever separate me from the what? Oh my goodness. From the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. That gives me goosebumps. It shall not separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to pick apart John 3.16. I want to point out three things. Number one, I want to point out the reason for God's love. Why did God love us so? God so loved the world, gave His only begotten Son. Why does God love us so? I find myself thinking that because He created us. I look at my two boys, John and Josh, I'd give my life for them in a moment. When John was so sick, I said, John, I'd trade places with you in a moment if God would let me. If you have a child, you know what I'm talking about. Why does God love us so? Because I'm His child, and so are you. I mentioned last week the lady at L.S. Ayers, 45 years ago, and she's lost her child, and she's in mortal pain. She's close to sliding into shock. And if you were foolish enough to ask the woman when it was all over, you had three children by your side, why were you so upset about the one child not here? She would have looked at you like you had three heads. She would have said, I can't believe that question just came out of your mouth. This was my child? And that's why I'm so frantic, because I love him more than anything in the world. Why does God love us so much? Because we're his children, and he loves us as if we were the only person on this earth. That's why. And if there be a second reason, it is because when God looks at us, Ephesians 3.20, he sees the enormous capabilities and possibilities that exist in you as his child to bring kindness to this earth. John 7.38, streams of living water will come forth from you. And those streams of living water are the Holy Spirit working in you and through you to be the ambassador for God Himself on this earth. And if God is not an angry God, and if God is filled with love, then that Spirit comes forth from you. If you have a child, you already look at the child when they're young. You see their propensities, you see their interests, you see their personalities. And sometimes you smile as you look at this three-year-old or this six-year-old or this ten-year-old. Sometimes you begin to smile, and the reason you're smiling is you see them 15 years from now. I think he's going to be a teacher. I think she's going to be a doctor. I think she's going to be a nurse. I think he's going to be this. That's what God does. He loves you so much that when He looks at you and the skills and abilities He's given you, He says, this person is going to do this for my kingdom. But forget those two arguments. I give you one last, and it's the easiest of all. I think I'm satisfied that the reason for God loving us so much is the simple fact that God is love. 
Slam dunk, basic to his nature, God is love. He cannot help but being anything else. Why is water wet? Because it's water. Why does the sun shine? Because it's the sun. Why does God love? Because God is love. Secondly, John 3.16 tells us the extent of God's love. I'm so glad it's worded as it is. God so loved the world. In that phrase, there's no room to congratulate yourself. There's no room to pat yourself on the back and say, God chose me because I'm better than the rest. No, 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 no. It says God so loved the world. Doesn't say God so loved the rich people in the world. Doesn't say God so loved the very smart people in the world. Doesn't say God so loved the very, very athletic people in this world. It doesn't say God so loved the politicians in the world. He so loved those who have charisma. It says God so loved the world. He didn't love you because you're better than the rest. Romans 11.32, God shut us all up together in disobedience that he might show mercy to all. When you're in school, there comes a time at recess when they're picking teams. That's always a brutal time for some. Because when two people are picking teams, they pick the fastest and the most athletic And then there's the child who always gets picked last. And the older we get, the more do we feel so badly, even though that happened 50 years ago, we feel so badly for that one classmate of ours that was always picked last. God so loved the world. I'm no better than anyone else, and you're no better than anyone else. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. His love comes upon each of us. Let me tell you something. If an angel from heaven came down to earth today to carry a personal message from the heart of God to everyone whom God loves, if you would want to know for whom he gave his son, you'd have to get your hiking boots on because it'd be a long journey. That angel would take you to every city in this world. He would take you up the rickety tenement stairs in that boarding house in Boston. You'd go down to the moldy cardboard basement boxes that are on Lower Wacker Drive in the city of Chicago. The angel would take you to bars and clubs where it seemed hell itself was manifesting itself on this earth. He'd take you into prisons, into death row. He would take you to mental institutions. You would go across the fields to every village and farm. And then it's to Greenland and the snow-caked huts there. And then it's to the teeming millions in mainland China. And then it's to the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. And then you'd go across the waters into the jungles of the Amazon basin And then out into the Pacific, where the native mothers sing soft music to the gentle beat of the ocean's waves. You and that angel would go to every nook and cranny of this world if you wanted to see who God's heart bled for 
And if you wanted to see who God's Son died for, be an unforgettable thing, you would never have the same view of God. And you would never have the same view of your fellow human beings on this earth if you came to see the extent of God's love. There's one last point I would make in John 3.16. The reason for his love, the extent of his love, and finally the purpose of his love. And it's right there in the verse, right? Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. It is not the will of God that any man should perish. And if any man does perish, it will be in spite of the willingness of God to save him. Second Peter 3, 8 and 9, One day is with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. God is not slow to his promise, as some think of slowness. He is long-suffering and patient, not wanting anyone to perish, not the thief on the cross, not the prodigal son, not Simon Peter, not Moses, not the most vile sinner on this earth, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Does that sound like an angry God? It sounds like a God with so much love we cannot begin to put it into words. I want to close with a true story. It's about a man who came to this country and lived in England for 25 years. And then he came to this country and he was here in America for 10 years. And then he went down to Cuba to live. The Cuban War broke out. He was arrested as a spy. He was condemned to be shot. The man was innocent. The councils of the two governments, England and America, demanded his release. But the Spanish officer said, He has been tried by our courts, and we have found him guilty. This man must die. They took him to the place of execution. They dug his grave. They placed a coffin next to his grave. And then the soldiers lined him up against the wall, and they leveled their rifles, and they would fire at the word of command. They were covering the man's eyes when up rode the American council and the English council. Leaping from the carriage that had brought them, they ran to the man. The American council wrapped the American flag around him. And the British council wrapped the British flag around him. And then they turned to the Spanish official and they said to him, Fire on these flags if you dare. And they did not dare, for behind those two flags stood the two greatest governments in the world. Think of the governments of Almighty God, which is ours through our faith in Him, through the death of Jesus and His resurrection. Think of the great government of Almighty God. says in Isaiah, The government shall be upon His shoulders, the mighty counselor, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Think of the great government of Almighty God. Let Him wrap His banner 
of love around you. And the powers of hell can't touch you. Neither in this life nor in the life to come. The purpose of God, that you would have abundant life on this earth, free from a life filled with fear and shame, and that you would have everlasting life with him in heaven when this journey is done. You are wrapped in the banner of God's love. Good Shepherd Sunday. And in the midst of this storm, the shepherd is out in the field with you. He's not practicing social distancing up there in heaven. (laughs) He doesn't have a mask on. The good shepherd is right in the field with you. May he be your peace, your strength, and your song. In our Savior's name, amen. Heavenly Father, it changed Martin Luther's life when he realized that God was not a God filled with great anger. He was rather a God filled with great love. By grace are you saved, Martin, through your faith. Not of your works, this is a gift from God. And there was a changing point in my life when I came to realize that God is not anger. God is a God of great love and compassion. Lord, may our concept of God be changed if it's one of an angry God, judgmental God, and everything that happens to me is because I've sinned. Help us, Lord, to grab hold by the Spirit's working to a transformation of our mind. God is love, and every single possible thing that that entails for my life on this earth and my everlasting life with Him in heaven. Neither life, nor death, nor coronavirus, nor cancer, nor divorce, nor unemployment, nor foreclosed house. Neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. May it be so in our Savior's name. Amen.